From the heart of Dubai, this is Sports Unhinged with Mohammed Hamiz. And we are on. Hello and welcome to Sports Unhinged. My name is Mohammed Hamiz and however you might be listening to us, whether it's in your favorite podcast app or if you're watching us on our YouTube or Facebook channels, we are glad that you can be here with us. We are going to be coming to you once or twice a week, alternating episodes. One episode will be talking about football or dedicated to football, the English Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, the Champions League, and maybe if the German and the French leagues become more interesting, maybe we'll cover them. The other episode will be focusing on American sports and combat sports, NFL, NBA, UFC, and boxing. And what an exciting year we have ahead of us right now. Now, this is my favorite part of the of the year. It's where I get to make predictions. And today, in our episodes, I'll be bringing to you my predictions for the top six teams in the English Premier League for the year. Now, it's a bit different than last year. Um, Last year, we did it way before the season started. And the way you do these predictions usually is on paper. It's what things look like. They never turn out the way that you, you anticipate them. You can never take into account players that get transferred, injured, Coaches that get fired, teams that you didn't think will do well, they end up doing great. Teams that you think will do great, they end up doing really bad. So this is the interesting part of the season. This year, we're making them three weeks into the Premier League. So we've got a bit of a sample. We've seen a few games. We've seen what teams look like. And some of you might accuse me of being prisoner of the moment because of the sample that we've seen so far in the Premier League matches. And it's not. I'm not, I'm not making my decisions based on the games that we've seen so far. There's a lot more to it. And the reason why I'm giving you these disclaimers is because I'm starting with my number six prediction for the Premier League this year, and that's going to be Manchester United. Now, I know a lot of you who are supporting Manchester United might think I'm crazy. I'm not making this prediction for Manchester United because they lost two out of their three games. I'm not making this prediction because Mourinho's being his uh, usual dramatic self, well, at least of late. I'm making these predictions for Manchester United to not only finish outside of the Premier League spots, but to finish in sixth place, if they're lucky. There's Everton that we might keep an eye out for. It's because Manchester United is going through a civil war right now. And this civil war doesn't just have two sides fighting in it. It doesn't have three sides fighting in it. It's got four. And until somebody comes out victorious, either one of these sides or a coalition of some sort, this team is not going to be winning many games to contend in the top four of the Premier League. Now, who are these four parties that are participating in this massive civil war that's going on within the walls of Old Trafford? Number one, we've got Ed Woodward. Ed Woodward is the ex-banker. He is the guy that has been posing as a director of football or president of football operations at Manchester United for the last few years. The guy is not a football man. He's an ex-banker. And when you move jobs into a new industry, like any of us would do, while we're learning the ins and outs of that new job, while we're making mistakes, while we're finding out how things are being run, we mask that and cover it by applying the skills that we already know. Ed Woodward knows only one thing, how to make money. And that's what he's doing in Manchester United right now. He is 
the henchmen of the owners, the glazers, who are across the Atlantic in the United States, and they're happy with him because he's turning a profit. But Manchester United is a team with a huge legacy that's being driven to the ground right now. I mean, let's look at Ed Woodward's record since Alex Ferguson has left. First, he sacked a manager, the first manager to succeed Alex Ferguson, which was David Moyes, simply because he didn't do well for him in the transfer market. Then he appointed an outdated coach who hasn't coached a successful team or hasn't been really successful in a club for a long time and brought him in and then bankrolled a lot of his mediocre signings. He okayed the signing of Di Maria, Schweinsteiger, Falcao was brought in. And he ignored glaring requirements that Manchester United needed in the centre-back, full-back, winger positions. And then he sacked that manager minutes within him winning the FA Cup. This is not the Manchester United way. And we've seen the likes of Gary Neville and uh, Paul Scholes talking about the Manchester United way. That's gone out of the window right now. Edward Ward didn't stop there. Mourinho came in. Before Mourinho comes in, he was renewing contracts for either aging or declining players. And then when Mourinho comes in, just four months ago, he renews the contract with Jose Mourinho, sending a message that he's backing Jose Mourinho for the foreseeable future in Manchester United. What does he do four months later, five months later? We're in the transfer window. Mourinho's telling him, I need more money to compete. I have a problem in defense. Yes, Mourinho has already spent about 350 million pounds. If you transfer that to dollars, it's somewhere around 400 million. And he doesn't have the team that he wants. Yes, he wants more money. He pulled the plug on him. Now, before the close of the transfer window, there were some frantic bids for Aldevide and Harry Maguire. 75 million for Harry Maguire. Seriously? This is panic buys. Ed Woodward is not a football guy. He's a banker. The only thing that he's done well is sponsors, sponsors, sponsors. Those Manchester United shirts with number six and number seven on the back, Alexis Sanchez, Pogba, number nine, Lukaku, they're flying off the shelves. And the Glazers across the Atlantic, that's all they care about. They don't really care if Manchester United is winning. So he's the first side in this particular civil war. The second side is obviously Jose Mourinho, the coach. Now, Jose Mourinho comes in with a lot of achievements, all the accolades that a coach could hope for. Two Champions Leagues, one Europa League, one UEFA Cup, so you could say two Europa Leagues, three Premier League titles, and he reminded us of that in the press conference after the Tottenham game before he stormed out. That's a guy with an ego. That's a guy who thinks that he deserves to be a manager, a director of football operation. He needs to have full autonomy of, of his role over the transfer market. Three Premier League titles, two Serie A titles. He won La Liga, he won the Coppa del Rey, the FA Cup, the Coppa Italia. Basically everything that a coach could win. And he is complaining right now that his role has been downgraded from a manager 
to a football coach. Now, I'm not defending Mourinho. I'm just telling you that I understand why he would feel frustrated at this point in time. Now, Mourinho's no saint. He's made a lot of mistakes, especially in the preseason this year. He committed the cardinal sin of management, losing the locker room. Jose Mourinho was so desperate to get the attention of the Glazers to push Ed Woodward to agree to fund the transfer that, transfers that he needs for his defense that he turned on his own players. He thought that that was the way that he can get the funding that he needs. He turned on his players. A lot of players don't want to play for him. A lot of the potential transfers didn't want to move to Manchester United because they don't want to play for him. And he split the fans. In this whole equation, the fans are like, it's like when mom and dad are fighting and the kids are sitting in the next room wondering if mom and dad are going to break up and who are they going to end up with. That's what the fans are feeling like right now. You've got Edward Woodward and Mourinho fighting in the next room and the fans are split. Half of them are with the ownership, the other half are with Jose Mourinho because Jose turned on his players. Now the third part or the third party in the civil war is the star player, Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba just came back from winning the World Cup. He looked like a leader in the World Cup. I mean, I'm sure some of you have seen those videos of him giving pep talks to the French team before the World Cup final. A lot of these players in the national, French national team are ready to run through a wall for Paul Pogba. And he thinks that he deserves the same kind of treatment in Manchester United. He needs the team to be built around him. And when he realized that Jose Mourinho, in his frantic attempt to get extra funding, is not looking at Paul Pogba as an influential leader to build a team around. In fact, Jose Mourinho's attitude has been more like Paul Pogba is one of those spoiled new generation brats with lots of money and a bit overrated. That's the feeling that Paul Pogba had. He wanted to move out. He wanted to go back to Juventus. And his agent has been very, very vocal about that. So Paul Pogba and the star players in Manchester United would be the third party in the civil war. Now the fourth side in this battle is one that is always overlooked, but is so influential. And people underestimate the influence of this fourth side. Now there was an article on the Daily Mail that brought this into the limelight very recently last week. The fourth side in the civil war is a bunch of ex-players, ex-legends of Manchester United, the ones that created the Manchester United way with Sir Alex Ferguson. They're known as the class of 92. And three of those players right now have very influential, loud voices in the media. When Manchester United lost 3-0 against Tottenham at home in Old Trafford, who is the first person that you wanted to hear from? Gary Neville in Sky Sports. We want to hear from Ryan Giggs on ITV. We want to hear from Pulse Calls on BT Sports. And mind you, these three guys have had a lot of influence in the direction that Manchester United has taken in the last few years. When Van Gaal started 
basically tanking with Manchester United, Gary Neville came out and criticized him 32, later, uh, 32 days later, Van Gaal was gone. These are the custodians of the Manchester United way. Now, after Manchester United lost to Tottenham, Gary Neville came out and defended Jose Mourinho. He's picked a side. They're going after the Glazers. They're going after Ed Woodward. He's given Mourinho the benefit of the doubt, and he said it would be very stupid for Manchester United to fire Mourinho at this particular period of time, at least till the end of the season. He needs to turn this around. So until somebody comes out from this war, Manchester United are not going to be winning games. They're not going to be contending. And Jose Mourinho needs to do better as a coach. He's got world-class players. Let's not pretend that he has the, the same quality as Wimbledon has in their, in their team. If you look at coaches like Tony Pulis, who's working miracles in Middlesbrough in the championship right now, that's the kind of attitude you need from a manager because this guy, when West Brom wanted, well, West Brom wanted him out and he got fired, he moved to Middlesbrough and we, he didn't get the transfers that he wanted. You know what he came out and said? He's like, I will turn the players that I have into the players that need to, they need to be to contend for the championship. That's the kind of attitude that you need as Jose Mourinho. I understand the frustration. I understand the ego hit. Jose Mourinho needs to have control of the transfers. He needs to have control of the full football operation. Heck, in the NFL, the only coach that has both the head coach and the GM role is Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots. And the reason why he has that power is because he won Super Bowls. Jose Mourinho has enough titles under his belt to deserve that kind of treatment, but you don't turn against your players. So Manchester United, I've spent a little bit too much time on them, but they'll finish in sixth. Now, who do I have in fifth? In fifth place, I'm picking Arsenal as the team to be on the bubble or miss out on Champions League spots. And, you know, when it comes to freedom of speech as a right, if I were to remove that right from somebody right now, if I were to turn into a dictator, I would cut off, shut down, completely annihilate the presence or the existence of Arsenal Fan TV. A bunch of characters with nicknames like they just came out of a Counter-Strike game are defining the voice or representing the voice of the hundreds of thousands of Arsenal supporters worldwide, and they're misrepresenting them completely. If Arsenal finishes fifth this year, that's not an underachievement. You need to remember the circumstances that Arsenal are going through right now. They have just come out, or they're in transition, from a 22-year reign of a coach as iconic, almost as legendary as Sir Alex Ferguson, and that would be Arsene Wenger. 22 years, that's a big transition. That's a change of philosophy. And I think they brought the right man in. Now you can see I'm wearing a Valencia t-shirt today. And that's because I've got a soft spot for Arsenal's new coach, Unai Emery. Unai Emery came in to the team that I support, Valencia, in 2008. and spent four seasons there. And during that time, he managed to push Valencia from sixth place in the league to a third place finish, to a repeat in a third place finish, 
and a third place finish once again. During that time, I realized what kind of coach Unai Emre is. When you see his demeanor on the sidelines, he reminds me of the movie A Beautiful Mind, you know, with Russell Crowe looking out of the window and all he can see in front of him is all these formulas and numbers just floating around. That's what Unai Emre is like when it comes to football. Only what he sees are X's and O's and plans and schemes. He lives and breathes football. He was born to be a coach. But he needs time to adjust. He needs time and some of, some of that adjustment is going to come through trial and error. Let's not forget this man went to Sevilla and won three Europa League titles in a row. And what we see from Arsenal fan TV is this knee-jerk reaction after every game. If we win, yeah, that's great. We're moving on forward. This is the way that we want Arsenal to be. And when they lose, oh, why did he start Chaka? He started Chaka because he wants to, he wants to see whether it's going to work or not. There's a lot of decisions that Unai Emery has to look at in the upcoming season. First of all, at the goalkeeper position, do I start Perecek or do I bring Leno in? He's going to need to try them out. Bellerin has been exposed lately. Do I bring in Lichtensteiner, make him the starter at right fullback? Torreira, I think, is one of the youngsters that has shown a lot of promise and is going to be a permanent starter very soon, in my opinion. Most importantly, some of the young talent that Arsenal have, the 19-year-old Matteo Ganduzzi, who's come in and really made an impact. This guy has not been playing football very long. It's probably his second, what is it, second season in professional football or in the top flight in professional football. This guy has already in the first three games more, made more tackles and interceptions, successful ones, than any other player in the Premier League. 17 to be specific. Ginduzi is going to have a great future with Arsenal. Yes, you have a problem with Ozil, but that needs to get figured out as well. If you don't have Ozil, Mkhitaryan can play in that space and he's proven that he can be good. This is an adjustment period. Let's not expect Arsenal to go back into Champions League contention. I have them finishing fifth. If they finish anything above that, it's going to be an overachievement. But guess what? This is the honeymoon year for Unai Emery. Next year, you're going to have expectations for them to contend. I've got Arsenal going at fifth. If, if, fans, if Arsenal fans have anything to worry about, it's way above the coaching level. They need to worry about their owner, Stan Kroenke, who owns... Not just Arsenal, but he owns the LA Rams in the NFL, the Denver Nuggets in the NBA. And because certain rules prevent him from having both of these teams, he's registered the basketball team under his wife's name. Stan Kroenke is in the process, if not completed uh, already, of being 100% owner of, of Arsenal. He's buying everybody else out. That's going to bring transparency down, and rumors are that he's going to use Arsenal as his funding engine for the other teams. This is the risk that teams like Manchester United and Arsenal face right now. It's away from football. It's turning them into businesses. Winning is not important. That's what fans should be worried about. Arsenal will be going at fifth for me. Now let's get into the Champions League spots. At number four, I have Chelsea. And this is one of the areas where you can see I'm not overreacting to Chelsea winning their first three games. They conceded three goals, but they looked good up front. They have a few problems. You know, so with Chelsea, it's also an adjustment period. 
I think Sari coming in as a coach is fantastic. And this guy who smokes a lot of cigars and chews a lot of tobacco, he's got a heck of a philosophy that he's going to embed in Chelsea. They need it. Chelsea has been going through coaches like I go through cups of coffee. They don't give them the chance. Chelsea are supposed to be a team that waits things out. They have the quality. They've just been really impatient. Sari's philosophy, once it gets implemented, I think is a game changer for this team. Now, Chelsea has two problems, and that's why they're finishing at fourth for me. One problem that can be solved very quickly, and it's part of the adjustment process that Sari has to go through. And the second one is a bit more difficult. They probably need to address in the transfer window in January or next year. Let's look at the smaller problem. The first problem that Chelsea has is a defensive midfield position. And it's a good problem to have. Because what we seem to see right now in the first three games is that there is this rotation going on between N'Golo Kante and Jorginho in the defensive midfield position. And that needs to stop. It's a simple equation. N'Golo Kante is the best defensive midfielder in the world right now. France does not win the World Cup without N'Golo Kante. Pogba doesn't look like World Cup Pogba right now in Manchester United because he doesn't have an N'Golo Kante. He has an Emmanuel Matic instead. N'Golo Kante should play the defensive midfield position and everybody should work around that. He gives you everything going up and building up plays up the field. And most importantly, nobody does it better going back and to your defensive duties and making recoveries. So once that is sorted... Sari will have to find a place for Jorginho that fits, but N'Golo Kante should be the anchor of your midfield. That's the first problem. The second problem is the problem that they have up front. Alvaro Morata and Olivier Giroud. Now, Olivier Giroud has gotten a lot of criticism. He was supposed to be the main striker for France in the World Cup, they managed to win a World Cup without him not only scoring a goal, but I think having a shot on target. This is unheard of. Olivier Giroud, for me, is not a Chelsea-level player. He's not a top-four-level player. Olivier Giroud right now, for me, is a... Southampton, Newcastle, Burnley-level player that is stealing a a living right now at the top level in the Premier League. So any criticism that goes the direction of Olivier Giroud is, is absolutely warranted. Now, with Alvaro Morata, I feel slightly different about that. I think people have been too harsh on him. Especially after the Newcastle game, where he got zero shots on target and was substituted after 65 minutes. Because Alvaro Morata was playing in a game where Rafa Benitez, I think it was Jose Mourinho wearing a Rafa Benitez mask there, adopted one of the most unattractive styles of football I've ever seen in a football game. Talk about parking the bus and taking that to the next level. When you have seven or eight defenders in the box, and with Chelsea making the mistake of trying to build attacks through the middle rather than using the widths, It's impossible for a striker like Alvaro Morata to do anything in that game. So I think that was a bit too harsh. He had a very, very good game to start the season against Arsenal, even got a goal. In the second game, his hold-up play looked really good. 
I think Alvaro Morata is not somebody that's going to win you a title. You should never build your title hopes on someone like Alvaro Morata. But he's, he's good enough for Chelsea. I think for Chelsea to contend, they're maybe a Lewandowski away from title contention. And that's something that needs to be addressed in the January transfer window. So Chelsea finishes fourth for me. Now at number three, and I'm not going to spend too much time on these guys, it's Tottenham Hotspurs. Tottenham was the only team, it shocked everybody pretty much, in the transfer window. They held Pat. Nobody in, nobody out. They're happy with the team that they have. And sometimes when you get rid of disruptive players, it's addition by subtraction, they don't have any. Tottenham Hotspur has a bunch of winners. Winners that prove that they can win on the world class because they just came back from the World Cup. You've got Hugo Lloris. Harry Kane was a hero in the World Cup. We've got Eriksen, Deli Alli, Trippier, Aldevaib. Tottenham has an excellent team put together. The reason why I don't have them contending for the Premier League this year is because of the depth of their bench. I mean, if we look at their bench, they've got Fernando Llorente, they've got um, Davidson Sanchez, Aurier, Lamela. Those are not guys that can be adequate backups and keep your team going at the same pace once you start going into the Champions League games and once you know the fixture calendar gets really busy. So who knows, maybe in the transfer window in January, Tottenham would focus on buffering that bench. But their starting lineup is absolutely fantastic. Lucas Mora has been the surprise of the season so far with his effectiveness, with the assists, with the goals. He scored two against Manchester United in Old Trafford. Absolutely fantastic. So I have Tottenham finishing at third. Now, when it comes to the top two, the only reason why I've ordered my top two in the way that I'm about to sh tell you right now is simple. It's because of their priorities this year. One team wants the Premier League more than anything else. The other wants the Champions League more than anything else. You can't do both. I don't think either team is equipped to do both. But if they focus... On, the, on these objectives, they should be able to at least make a run for it or try to achieve it. And that's why I have Manchester City at second and Liverpool, of course, at first. Now, to win championships, there's a simple formula. It's got three Cs that gives you the ultimate C, which is the championship. To win a championship, you need chemistry, you need coaching, and the last thing that you need is cash. And unlike Manchester United, the managers of Liverpool and Manchester City have all three. Manchester City finishes second for me. The reason for that is simple. Like I said, Pep Guardiola, his legacy in Manchester City, let's not talk about his legacy in total because this, he's proven himself, in Manchester City, he wants to deliver that Champions League title. So I think that he'll be going full throttle to try and achieve that this year. And that's why he'll finish a close second to Liverpool. And Liverpool needs to go for the title. It's now or never. The stars are aligned. You've got the team. You've got the defense. 
The problem with Liverpool has always been the defense. The style that Klopp likes to play is only successful if you have some reliability at the back. And they brought in Virgil van Dijk. Since he came in in February, Liverpool have not conceded a league goal at home. Remember Liverpool last year at the beginning of last season? Goals were leaking like a burst pipe over there. They would score five, they would concede four, and they will win. In some cases, they will concede four, they will score three, and they will lose. Inconsistency was Liverpool's problem because they didn't have the defense. That's sorted now. And they spent 60-something million on the goalkeeper. Simon Mignolet, Carius, embarrassing. Now they've got Alisson. He just did a move a couple of days ago in a game where he chipped a ball over a player just outside the penalty area. This kid is confident. When you spend 60 million on a goalkeeper, you expect him to hit the ground running. Allison is just that. It's just like when you spend a lot of money to go on a fancy holiday and you book the honeymoon suite. You're not happy to have a roof over your head. You're happy because you have a jacuzzi. Liverpool, congratulations on your jacuzzi. Allison is going to be great this year. So I have Liverpool finishing at first, Manchester United, uh, Manchester City finishing at second, purely because of priorities. Let's face it, Liverpool has won the Champions League in the last 15 years. But the last time they won the league, Apple and Blackberry were just fruits. Those companies didn't exist. That's going to be their priority this year. It's now or never. You've got Mohamed Salah, you've got Sadio Mane, you've got Firmino, you've got the defense. The stars are aligned. You've got the coaching, you've got the chemistry, you got the cash. You got the cash to bring in the players that you want and the cash to pay them to stay. That's why Salah is not playing in a Real Madrid jersey this year. So this is going to be my predictions based on the three games that we've seen so far. But who knows? After the transfer window, I think we probably need to do another one of these episodes because things will change. I'm more interested in seeing how Manchester United deal with their civil war than anything else. Anyway, so going forward, what we're going to be doing is, obviously, we haven't talked any, any La Liga or Serie A. The biggest news of the summer, obviously, with, was Cristiano Ronaldo moving to Juventus. And before I wrap up this episode, I think it's probably worth for you to know where my biases are. Because... I've already disclosed I'm a Valencia fan. In Italy, I'm also a Juventus fan. A Valencia fan, obviously, because of the fact that I'm a quarter Spanish. But a Juventus fan because at the age of 11, I saw a player called Del Piero and just fell in love with the way that he plays and have never looked back since. I've also been a very loud hater of Cristiano Ronaldo. So you can imagine the... uh, the conflict that I went through when I heard that Cristiano Ronaldo was coming to Juventus. And it's a nice conflict to have because I didn't hate Cristiano Ronaldo because I think he's a bad player. I hated him for how great he is. And the funny thing that just came out today is that UEFA announced the goal of the season 
from last year. And it was given to Cristiano Ronaldo's epic scissor kick or overhead kick against Juventus. And the most awkward thing is that Juventus had to post that clip on their Facebook page and congratulate Ronaldo for winning the award. Talk about scoring an own goal. Let's see. He hasn't scored a goal just yet. But Juventus, just like Manchester City, is going to be going all out for the Champions League this year. In fact, I think there are four teams that will be going all out for the Champions League. It will be Manchester City, it will be Juventus, Atletico Madrid, and now that Ronaldo's gone from Spain, of course, Barcelona. So we're definitely going to be talking a lot more Champions League. The draw is going to happen soon. And um, yeah, I guess that's it for our first episode. Um, post your comments below. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Um, you can follow us on Instagram where we're posting daily updates uh, on the latest news um, in the sports world. We have Manu Ginobili just retired from the NBA. So we were talking about that recently on our Instagram um, it's been great and I'm looking forward to more episodes coming up this has been Sports Unhinged my name is Mohamed Khamis and until next time take care